0: Family secrets. What's your deepest one? What's your deepest, darkest family secret? Yes, say it in a podcast right now. (laughs) (laughs) I demand it from you. (laughs) I feel like family secrets are one of those things that's just so creepy. Like when you hear about it, you feel like you're invading someone's privacy. It just feels so startling and uncomfortable and you don't know how to respond because you can't just be like, oh, you know how families are.
1: Yeah, all
0: All forked up. Okay, (laughs) and the reason that I get so into family drama is because there are so many threads on Reddit that says, hey, please anonymously post your deepest, darkest family secret here and we will all judge you anonymously. And I scroll through that like three in the morning. That is the shit that I am on right now. Okay, and so one of the entries says after my uncle died, we discovered that he had a second wife whom he spent most of his time with. Literally no one on either side of the family knew about this for over over 25 years he also has purchased the same similar layout house same furniture same everything and the houses were almost identical like mirroring each other and like what brand sofa was facing what direction in front of the tv with what decorations what kind of pillows and it probably helped him keep his story straight it wasn't until after he died that the two families found out about each other
1: oh so both family didn't know each other existed no oh that's funny pretty fascinating is
0: that not insane what yeah. if like they both had sons and he named them both John but then once in a while in the true crime world we will have cases where all the headlines says the most depraved family in America the most disgusting family in America like all of these things right and I feel like we're on the stage where we had that recently Um, I, oh, man how many years ago was it in California with the story of the family who had the 12 children locked up in their house and it was this huge ordeal right Mm. and i might do that for a minisode but today oh today i am talking about one of the most disgusting families in the history of my brain like i can't even think of one family that's more nasty than this family this family is so gross i can't believe no one's doing like crazy deep dive psych like psychiatric hospitals need to study their brains because it's insane now when i say family i mainly mean the parents because i feel like they dictate what the children do and all of that so this is the sexton family and their house of secrets yeah their name is the sexton family
1: s-c-x-t-i-n
0: t-o-n yeah it's just gonna make it all worse right so do you guys know about inbreeding avoidance So inbreeding avoidance, I did some research on this because I was kind of fascinated. I was like, what as humans makes us so repulsed to the idea of like seeing our siblings naked or like seeing our parents do it? Because we all feel repulsed. We're all like, that's disgusting. Uh, I want to die. Right. Mm-hmm. But like, is there something in our brain? Is that like a mechanism that we have? Or is that just because maybe you know them for so long that it's because it's nasty? Like, would I feel the same way about a family friend? Why? So it's called inbreeding avoidance. And it's something that your brain develops and it's like literally in your genes did you know even plants don't like to do incest plants so many plants have inbreeding avoidance in their genetics where they will reject their own pollen or close genetic pollens huh isn't that interesting they'll literally just like expel it from their system and not procreate with it Okay. Rats and mice are also similar. So if you put them in like a big box, they are less attracted and less likely to mate with their close relatives, which is crazy because you think rats are like a free for all. Have you seen them in New York City? Like you think that they have no morals, no ethics, nothing. But they're just like, I can't fuck my sister. Come on, that's nasty, you know, which is crazy. So it's crazy to me that so many animals have this just genetically embedded in them. But some humans are just like, yeah, incest. That's cool. Like, what?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't make sense. So what is it? Your brain... just makes it makes you feel gross
0: yeah makes you feel gross and it also oh this is what's fascinating they're doing studies about this and i don't know how far along the studies are if it's like a major priority so maybe they're not even getting funded but there's a mm-hmm. study that if you are dating someone who's not your relative but they have close genes to you like not even saying like your cousin right but to someone who has very similar genetics like i don't even know what they're called okay that's very similar to you you're less likely to be happy in your marriage now, I don't know if that is a factor to anything. That's why I said this study's really weird. It seems like maybe you, you just don't like people with your same genes. Maybe that's why people say opposites attract. Because they're like, there's no way you're my brother. Let's fuck like maybe that's the mindset of opposites (laughs) attract like i don't know Uh isn't it so weird there's also the opposite effect though that i was briefly reading about so don't quote me on any of this okay Mm -hmm. until we get into the crime apparently if you were separated from a certain family member at birth Mm -hmm. and then you later meet them down in the line you might become obsessive over them and that might in your brain trick you to believe that you are romantically in love with them and that's why very sometimes rarely we will see those stories about how a mother and son were reunited after she gave him up for adoption and then they started getting romantically involved. Oh yeah, oh, wow. Yeah, but it's because your brain just like somehow becomes obsessed with this person, and you trick yourself into believing that you romantically love this person, but not necessarily true. But obviously, with cases like incest, it's hard to get studies done because nobody's just like, "Oh yeah, let me just apply for this fucking incest survey," because usually you know they're not trying to like tell the world
1: okay it's very okay. odd so very eddie odd.
0: lee sexton let me tell you about this mother forker so eddie lee sexton he was born may 12th in 1942 in a very rural area of logan west virginia he was the youngest of 10 children um his entire family was like a family of coal miners they were really really poor like that was one thing that really irked eddie's gears because eddie was like i deserve to be rich and they were not rich and he was just bothered by it he didn't like how people looked at him he didn't like any of that and so his dad was a preacher on the side and his mom was particularly obsessed with him because he was the youngest son she would force all of the other children to go do chores around the house and she would be like Eddie come here like sit on my lap and he would sit on her lap like a full-grown boy and he would just she would just like read in books which is just really alarming and it makes me really uncomfortable okay while all the other kids are doing chores and so eventually the dad passes away and mom gets like a stroke so she becomes debilitated so she can't really do much so this made the whole family in financial ruins the rest of the children they had to go find work they had to go mine coal and stuff to support their mom and support the family Mm -hmm. but eddie never had to mine coal because he was a mama's boy yeah the mom was like not eddie though we don't want him to get all dirty in that coal mine So he would just stay home. And while he was staying home, he was just really upset that he was poor. So he would do these crazy activities. He just really wanted to be someone who had power, someone who had money, someone who had influence, someone who could make other people do things. He was like full on wanted to be a cult leader ever since he was like 13 years old. Obviously, he starts displaying these like psychopathic tendencies. He started getting these clothing lines, hanging them up, and then hung chickens along the line upside down and would in a row, cut off their heads with a machete <laughs> yeah and that was considered his fun time imagine what the dude does when he's like stressed
1: what's going on he's he just,
0: just like really liked so it that's his
1: int- entry of uh abusing animals
0: yeah like he was like this feels good this feels right like i finally have power i am stronger than these chickens i can dictate what happens in this chicken's life
1: Okay, okay. It's so
0: interesting. I find people who are obsessed with power to be very fascinating people. Like, sometimes I understand the fascination with other things. Like, even maybe fame, I understand the fascination because it's like, oh, like, maybe the attention feels like love. Even money, I understand the fascination because maybe you have, like, this mindset of, like, guarding your resources, right? I get that. But, like, power? I'm like, why would you want power? What are you going to do with it? Like, what's so fun about it? Like, money, you can buy food. Mm-hmm. You know, fame. Maybe you get free food. <laughs> Obviously, I'm a one-track mind to food right now. <laughs> but like power, he was just obsessed with it. And so he w- briefly went into the army and realized he didn't like it because the army is the type of place where you go in and you get yelled at. No one is like, "Oh my god, you're so smart." Oh my god, you're so good at that. They're like, "Fucking get up, cadet." And so he had six months there. He was discharged for bad conduct because he never worked a day in his life. Like, how is he going to survive in the army? Mm-hmm. Now at 15, or no, 21 years old, he gets a 15 year old girl pregnant. Okay. Yeah. So then he marries her. The day after their little elopement, like the day after their wedding, he robs a gas station but on his way out, he decides that he's going to beat up the gas station attendant with a tire iron. He was just like, thanks for all the money, but like, let me beat you the fuck up before I go. So it was just a very weird situation. He was arrested. He went to prison for five years and that's where he learned all of his skills. So in prison, he learned that power dynamics and manipulating people to get what you want is the most important thing in life because in prison that is the most important thing in prison if you don't understand the power dynamics you're you're done you're getting shivved if Uh you don't get people to do things that you want you're just gonna have a boring time in prison and so he learns all of this by force because he's trapped inside of this cell and he also learns from his nice new prison friends some Mm -hmm. way to get money how to fake disability for government checks
1: after he got out
0: Yeah, that was like a thing that they taught in prison. I think it was like a full on class. I mean, it was really crazy because once he got out, he would get more than $50,000 a year in disability checks, which is a ton of money. And this is in like the 60s. So it's a lot of money. So he gets out of prison. His wife immediately divorces him and takes his son away because she's like, no, like you're a prison person. Like I need a real husband. And so he goes back to committing crimes and he finally finds his wife forever. Her name is Estella May. May. Estella May we're gonna call her May um, that's what a lot of people called her but I don't like her okay she has a very pretty name but i don't like her so they decide to get married they settle down in stark county ohio and they would have 12 children together 12 she was popping out a baby pretty much every single year that they were together it was absolutely insane right so a lot of problems come with having 12 children i'm sure there's a lot of health risk health complications but mainly a lot of money problems too because 12 children that's a lot of clothing that's a lot of food that's a lot of education that's a lot of space that you need right and mm-hmm. eddie despite hard work so he was like how am I going to do this how am I going to raise 12 children be the provider when I hate working and so he would literally just fake disability checks like he would buy a hospital bed and buy a wheelchair and anytime government people came around he would literally just like wheelchair around act like he can't walk he would say that he's blind he would literally fake being (laughs) blind and he would get more checks because they were like god damn he's blind he can't work obviously he would send government photos like the government he would send them photos of him lying in the hospital bed that he bought like blacklisted like a black market hospital bed i don't even know if you can buy those legally but he's like i bought one i put it in this room he would like take a little selfie like look at me and like just send it to government workers and they'd be like oh man eddie lee sexton's in the hospital again huh Really okay. crazy, no? Yeah. Now, when the government wasn't around, he would do some odd jobs like a painter and a handyman. He would get cash for these jobs. He would set his house on fire three times to get insurance money. <laughs> and on multiple of those occasions, his children were inside the house because he needed to make it look real. So he would literally be like, hey, don't move, don't leave this room, or I'll beat the shit out of you, and then set the house on fire and then call 911. Like frantic, like, oh, my God, what do I do? Wow. Yeah, he would fake burglaries. He would say, oh, my gosh, this item was stolen from me. He would get insurance money out of it. But eventually he decided this isn't enough money. I need more. I need more money. And so he decided to do what a lot of lucrative people do. He became a preacher. (laughs) Can I say that?
1: What do you mean?
0: (laughs) He was like, this is where the money is (laughs) at. I'm gonna be a preacher. So, like, obviously, his way of becoming a preacher was very much like a cult preacher type vibes. Like, he wasn't trying to like really spread the gospel, spread the word. He was really trying to spread his pockets. So, what he did is he got a mail order license, which is you apply and then you get a license to preach. I didn't know that was a thing in the mail. And so, obviously, he didn't go through like a school. He didn't go through training. He didn't get a mentor who was a preacher. He was just like, no, I'm just gonna do it, and he. He started preaching at a local church. Now, in the beginning, people loved him people were like, wow, you are meant to preach like you're so charismatic. You're so good with your words. You've got this big beautiful family and wow, you are a godly man, right? And then slowly, slowly he started losing all of his followers because he started saying some shit that was very confusing. So it went from literally just straight up textbook Christian, right? And Uh everyone was like, yes, the Bible. And then he was like, did you guys know? Hello Christians. Did you guys know that Lucifer was not the only angel that was cast out of heaven. So the story in Christianity goes as Lucifer was an angel and because he betrayed God, he was no longer allowed to be an angel and he was cast down onto earth, right? So the devil, yeah. something like that. I grew up as a Christian, but obviously I didn't pay attention, sorry. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. So, anyways, Lucifer was cast out of heaven. Now, Eddie Lee Sexton was like, Did you know he's not the only one? Did you know God actually cast out a bunch of other angels and they came to earth and they started marrying humans? And so, among us, we've got these like half angel, half humans that are walking among us. And and I am the son of Lucifer. And it was just like, I Really? Am the son of yeah. And it was just a lot, like at once. Like this story, he was trying trying to tell his congregation that men can also be half gods, which then would mean that half gods are superior to just regular men.
1: So is he trying to start his own cult? Oh, yeah. There? Yeah, this is okay. like the
0: setup, right? But um, it just didn't work. So he was like preaching a little bit of Satanism, a little bit of a Pentecostalism, which is Pentecostalism. I can never say it right. It's a form of Christianity. And um, so every form of Christianity kind of has a different way of you know, showing their faith. Right. And Mm -hmm. Pentecostalism is when you have a direct experience and presence of God by the believers. So they believe that faith needs to be powerfully experimental, um, experiential, and not something that's like found in like rituals or thinking. It's like energetic and dynamic. And they're like the types that like you need to feel the Holy Spirit, not just like read about it. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're very not as much by the books in terms of like that, but they just like want you to be in the presence. Like Mm -hmm. that's their thing i mean they're really great people right and it's great idea it was very confusing for people to understand what the fuck are you preaching Mm -hmm. like am i supposed to be worshiping satan right now or am i worshiping god because if i'm worshiping god then i'm told that i can't worship satan like, uh-huh. I don't understand any of this. So he uh-huh. claimed that he was a descendant from angels who were cast down and married men. He was the son of Lucifer, right? Now, slowly, everyone stops Everyone stops coming to this church because it was getting real culty. There was a little bit of Christianism. There was a little bit of Satanism. There was a little bit of, like, sci-fi involved because he was like, so then, like, these angels come and then they, like... Have sex with humans and it was just like getting really Star Warsy a little bit on the side and it was just so strange. And then there was like witchcraft. Everyone was just like, This is not what I signed up for. Like I really just came here to read John three sixteen and now you are telling me that you are the son of Lucifer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So Mm -hmm. it was a lot. So as he's losing these followers, he's getting really upset. He's like, What the fuck? Like, I need this power. I need people to listen to me. Why aren't they listening to me? Estella, why aren't they listening to me? And Estella is like, Well, shit, I don't know. And so she's like, But I believe you. And the kids were like, I believe you, Dad. And so he's like, Okay, well, if I can't have a cult at church, I can make my own little cult. I can turn my family into the most intense cult, into a blind cult that will only worship me. Uh-huh. So he starts heavily abusing his family. Their family mantra that he would, you know how like like I said in the last podcast, everyone's got a slogan. You know, all these uh-huh. insurance companies got a slogan. Well, their family had a slogan that he would make the kids chant, which was until 16 you get the belt. After that you get the fist.
1: What? So uh- like
0: until you're 16 years old, you get whipped by a belt if you don't listen to him, and then after you're 16 you get the fist. You get punched in the face if you don't listen. Okay. Yeah, that was like his thing. And both of the parents would repeatedly beat the children on a daily basis. Yeah. It was confusing. It's going to get worse. Now, outside the house, they had something very interesting. They had a statue of Jesus, and it looked very holy. It looked like a nice little statue of Jesus, and you're like, oh, this dude's Christian, right? But when you walked up close to it, they had cut off Jesus' hands on the statue, which I'm like, how is this not illegal? Like, it always feels illegal when, like, weird stuff is done to, like, religious things, right? I'm like, this feels really cancelable and incorrect and illegal, you know? Mm -hmm. And then he would just draw blood dripping from the, like, why would you even put that outside your door like Uh why is that even a thing that you do like what comes to your mind where you're like oh let me let me do this right and then most of the time inside of the house they were only allowed to use candlelight they weren't allowed to turn their lights on so they would literally sit around all freaking 14 of them eating dinner around like one candle in the middle of that (laughs) dining table he called himself a warlock and the son of lucifer and estella was his number one disciple you can thank me later, but I'm about to I'm about to change your life. It's February. It's the new year. You're like, okay, I need to be healthy. I need to find work-life balance right now. I need to improve my relationships. I need to eat healthier. But have you really thought about hair goals? And you're like, man, I, do I need to add another thing to my list? I will do it for you. Let me tell you about Function of Beauty because when I got my hair on track, it was something that I looked at every single day. Every time I look in the mirror, every time I try to mess with my hair, Function of Beauty has helped so much. They are the world leader. And customizable beauty and they offer precise formulations for your hair specific needs all you have to do is take a quick but thorough quiz to tell them a little bit about your hair type you know what are your hair goals do you want to lengthen it do you want to volumize it you want some oil control and because your hair changes with the seasons you can change your hair goal every single time like every single shipment change that baby up next you choose your color your fragrance you can go fragrance or dye free if you want and here's the best part Function of Beauty's team determines the perfect blend of ingredients bottles you that for. Formula and delivers it straight to your door. And it's vegan, it's cruelty free. They never use sulfates or parabens, and you can actually go completely silicone free if that's your vibe. They have over 54 trillion possible formulations. So when I'm telling you it's customized for you, it's customized for you. They also have over 50,000 five star reviews, and now they have body and skincare too, which is amazing. So never buy off the shelf just to be disappointed ever again. Go to functionofbeauty.com/rotten to take your quiz and save 20% off your first order. That applies to their full range of customized hair, skin, and body products. That's FunctionofBeauty.com to let them know that we sent you and get 20% off your order, FunctionofBeauty.com slash routine. Now, does that mean Estella was living a a stellar life? (laughs) Sorry. Um. No. So Eddie would beat his kids, and one time he beat his daughter really hard and locked her into the closet. Then, while she was inside of this tiny little closet, he grabs the local cockroach spray—the local, the one that was right next to him. Okay, a cockroach Uh spray, and he sprays it underneath the closet door until they could hear her pass out. Like she thumped against the the closet door because she had passed out, and so he walks away. The mom gets concerned, takes her out of the closet, and when he finds out that Estella took her out of the closet, he dragged his wife in front of all 12 of his kids and beat her up. So they constantly saw him beat her. One time he held a loaded shotgun to Estella's head and threatened her, right? Mm-hmm. And he would actually do this with all of his children, too. So it was intense. The children and Estella firmly, 1,000% believed that Eddie Lee Sexton was a descendant of God, had supernatural powers, could have telepathy with other descendants of God, and was, had the ability to summon ghosts and spirits,
1: So they've been like so tortured and brainwashed. brainwashed. Yeah. So they fully believe it. Yeah. Wow.
0: But that's not what it was happening. Like he would literally turn the kids against each other. So he would say, hey, if anyone fucks up under this roof, then you have to tell me. Right. Uh But when he would go to punish that kid that allegedly did something wrong, he wouldn't tell him, oh, your brother Johnny told me he'd be like the spirits came and told me and they'd be like how would you know that unless the spirits actually came and told you because they're like five when this all starts like four younger when it all starts right and Uh so they truly truly genuinely believe that he has these powers so they also had a dead cat initiation where they all sat around at a candlelit dinner they gathered around and all the children were waiting for dinner you know because they're like this is a dinner but when Eddie walks into the room he's holding up a cat and he tells them that in order for spirits to be happy with you you need to keep sacrificing things to them and he slit the cat's throat in front of all of his children and then that day he made the children sign a contract in their own blood stating that they will go to hell if they ever disobey him like a blood contract Mm -hmm. now when you're like six i was scared to write my name in red ink because there's a korean superstition that you're gonna die And so imagine you sign something in your own blood and your parents are like, yeah, this is going to happen. There was also um, allegations of a fetus sacrifice. This is where it gets really dark. So there's actually a book out there that I recommend you reading if you've got the... um, the stomach for it it's called house of secrets and it's about the sexton family and all of their crimes and they had a fetus sacrifice so estella would have a lot of miscarriages which i know that these days it's more open to talk about it but miscarriages are pretty common but it would be more common because she was having a lot of children you know and so whenever she would have a miscarriage he would take the fetus that was miscarried chopped it up boiled it and made the whole family consume the fetus actually yes And then he would ask the dead fetus to come speak to the rest of his children. And he probably said some shit like, hey, I'm dead, but you better listen to your dad or I'll kill you. Like some fucked up shit, you know, manipulative stuff like he always did. So the children attended public schools. Mm -hmm. Now, that is shocking because usually in situations like this, they will completely pull them out of the school school system, say they're quote-unquote homeschooling them, but really they're not. Um, In situations of like intense like cult-like families, they won't necessarily let them go to school, but Eddie had a lot of rules for them. So every single morning before they went to school, he would give them one quarter each. Mm -hmm. Are You're thinking lunch money. You're thinking, ooh, go to that vending machine, get a bag of Cheez-Its, bitch, like it's your lucky day. No, he would say... If you ever see your siblings talking to a guidance counselor or a teacher by themselves, you run to the payphone and you call me immediately. So they were all snitching on each what? other. Yeah. He also said that they were only allowed to have one friend each. They couldn't have more than one friend. They, you could only talk to one other student ever the whole day. And that's it. Only one friend. And you're not allowed to visit that said friend's house. And you're not allowed to let them come over. So it's just very odd. Yeah, so like, yeah. what's the point of having that friend? Right. Yeah. And then the abuse gets sexual. So both of the parents would force all of the children to perform sex acts on both of the parents and to the other children as well.
1: Oh, my God. So
0: at the age of six, he would force um, sons to perform fellatio on him. Oh, my God. God. And afterwards, he called it like tummy bonding time, which is really sick because I think there is another term for like tummy bond. I'm not a parent, so I have no idea. But I think it's called tummy time where you put babies on their tummy when, they- when they're a certain age so that they can like learn how to crawl But like they have to be supervised. So it's like there's a word for it. It's like tummy time, I believe. But he called this tummy bonding time, which is just a sick play on words, I think, where he would draw a smiley face onto his stomach and force his young sons to like make out with that smiley face on his stomach which I just don't understand, but he would use the excuse that it was bonding. And so once his sons got a little bit older, he would start allowing them to get allowance. He would say, hey, do you want a dollar? Do you want a dollar? Like, do you want a dollar to go buy something from the vending machine today? And they would be like, yeah, I want a dollar. And so he said, "Okay, you can only get a dollar if you go and grope and suck on your mother's breast." And the mom was completely complicit. Now, you're not talking about a newborn. They're not breastfeeding. Like, these are, like, kids now, you know? And so what they were doing is definitely incest. It wasn't like, oh, you need to breastfeed and you won't breastfeed for some reason. You know, it's not a situation like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Not at all. So one of the sons, because he was learning from his parents about all of this sexual abuse and kids just do a lot of very fascinating things with the information that they receive. Mm -hmm. And so he came up with this game called the Statue of Liberty game. Now, I just want to phrase this well, so I don't want to make it seem like this kid is evil because I think this kid really just took what he could from his environment because you're like constantly learning. Mm -hmm. So one of the sons would stand like the Statue of Liberty in the middle of the room and he would force his younger sisters to perform fellatio on him now he was performing fellatio on his own father he created this game and he thought that it was completely normal like I think it's so sad he thought it was like a child's game like how you and I would play hide and seek if we were kids you know he thought that oh like this is what people do like this is a game and so he came up with this game now one of the other sons had told the parents like casually like oh he's playing the Statue of Liberty game and they're like what the fuck is that and so the son tells them all about it they start beating up that boy and they Eddie whipped him with a belt Estella clawed at him like with her nails until he started bleeding which is such a weird way to punish a kid I mean physical abuse is never okay but like clawing at someone I I just I feel like I haven't done a case like that and so he was whipped close to 50 times and the parents said sexual molestation towards your siblings is okay only if we order it so like if I tell you to perform fellatio on your sibling that's fine but you can't do it without my permission
1: Huh, okay.
0: Now, especially Lana. So Lana was one of the younger siblings that was forced to perform fellatio on her sibling. But um, the dad, Eddie, did not want anyone to touch Lana. She was specifically off-limits to all of the siblings because she was daddy's special little girl. What? He just, like, really liked her, I guess. But not in, like, a loving fatherly way. Now, Eddie would also sodomize his son's which is, like, assault them in the rectum. And he would, yeah, it was just really bad. Now, the mom, she would also abuse her children as well. So she would perform fellatio on her sons. Yeah, like her, like, boy sons, like kids, she would perform fellatio on them. She would um, digitally penetrate her daughters, which means... Well, yeah, you know what that means. And then she would ask them to do the same to her. So it was really, really bad. So every Saturday, they had How something called... How old are they? I mean... It started since they were, like, young.
1: But there are 12 of them. So let's say one of them is 6. The other yeah. one's It could 18. be, like,
0: 12, 18. They, they, yeah, some of them were, like, adult children and still stood by the parents because they had been groomed since birth. Okay. so they had something called Saturday Night Dances where he would sit on an armchair in the middle of his living room, turn on the music and make his daughters wear these short, tiny little dresses and dance sexually while he watched them. And he would critique them and like make them. You know, dance more sexually if he wasn't pleased with their performance. And then they also had wedding ceremonies. And there are pictures of this in the House of Secrets. Like they took family photos during these satanic wedding ceremonies. So that's what they called it. He would do this with every single one of his daughters. He would force them to participate. He would put a white veil on their head. He would dress them up and he would be the groom. He would put on a full suit. The whole family would be there and they would read satanic vows, exchange a Mouth to mouth kiss, they would take a picture, and then the dad would lead the daughter upstairs into the master bedroom for their honeymoon to consummate the marriage.
1: Jesus.
0: Now, what makes it even worse is that Estella May would oftentimes join. Yes. so if any of you felt bad for Estella Mae because you were like, oh, well, she was abused and she was probably terrified for her life. Like, yeah, maybe like the one time. But then after that, it's like you do have a duty as a mom and all of his daughters would go through this ceremony. One of them was only 12 years old when she quote unquote married her father. And she recalled being molested by both of her parents while she slept with them in their master bedroom. And the mother would do a lot of gross things. I feel like the mom was just so nasty. So Estella... Would tell the girls that she had to give them breast exams and would just start fondling them while Eddie's watching. And if they were like, okay, this is weird, like, please don't do this, she'd be like, I'm sorry, this is a breast exam. What are you talking about? So then she would also say that she has to check for worms and she would digitally sodomize them and penetrate them, like, assault them fully. Because she's checking for worms Now let's talk about his firstborn daughter So Estella Pixie Sexton was the firstborn daughter So she has her mom's name So people called her Pixie just to not get the too confused mm-hmm. So Pixie was the eldest daughter And she was probably the most complicit in all of the crimes She would actually help murder later on And I think it really was because she was groomed Like mm-hmm. from start to finish she was like the number one Like he was just really hounding in on grooming her the way people describe their relationship is that pixie genuinely was in love with eddie but Mm -hmm. not as a dad Mm -hmm. so she genuinely like you know how they say in high school when you love a boy you think it's like the end of the world you'll do anything for them Mm -hmm. that's kind of how pixie was with her dad she would constantly meet him in the basement so that they could do sex acts she could get raped. I mean, it's 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 so confusing because in a lot of sources, they make it sound like it was consensual. But I think that anytime it's a child, I just call it rape, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's very confusing. And so they would constantly go down into the basement to do these activities. And it was just really, really intense. She was also known as like the family snitch. Like she would tell her dad anything that her siblings were doing. Mm-hmm. She would also later go on to have two of his children.
1: Jesus.
0: So she, he was the grandfather and the father of her first two children.
1: But now- I mean, is there even like father or
0: it gets even weirder. So even those two kids will, they have evidence of sexual abuse later. Yeah. So it, it's just so sick and nasty and it's so confusing and heartbreaking at the same time. And so they also had a favorite son. So if Pixie was like the favorite daughter, right, of Eddie, mm-hmm. he had a favorite son by the name of Christopher and he was allowed more opportunities to be normal. So he was allowed to participate in sports, especially football. Um, he was allowed to like date girls, call his friends using the home phone. Like, He just was a lot allowed to do a lot more. But in exchange for that, he had to give up a lot. So Eddie would walk around the house on days that he decided that Christopher owed him. And he would say, and I quote, I'm getting some butt tonight. It's time to get some butt. And so he knew this as his sign to go follow him upstairs to be abused.
1: Oh, my
0: gosh. The mom would also soon come after and abuse him as well. Now, at this point in high school, rumors of Pixie's pregnancies were kind of spreading like wildfire because it was a small town and uh, this family was widely known for being a very just a closed knit, never let anyone in. They're not like the type of neighbors that's like, hey, do you want to come over for dinner? The kids are also not the type that's at prom, that's at these little school gatherings on the weekends. Like the kids are known to not be allowed out of the house, to not have friends, not to be able to date, not to do anything. So they're all wondering, all of these adults even, these faculty members are wondering... How the fuck does she get pregnant? Not once, but twice. Like, she's not even allowed out of the house. So -hmm. then, of course, rumors start circulating because it's, you know, high school. Everyone's like, oh, well, she does have a lot of siblings. Like, oh, she does have this. You know, they're so weird. Like, they're not allowed out of the house. So all of these people start talking about who the fork is the dad. Like, who the fork is her baby daddy? Because she's not allowed to date. She doesn't have a boyfriend. None of this is making sense. So when people asked her, hey, like, who's the dad of your kid? She Uh would say, oh, it's my boyfriend friend but he ran away to Mexico and I don't I don't know where he is anymore. And so again, that's a really strange story. They yeah. lived in Ohio too, so it's not like a border town either. Uh-huh. So it was just like, what? Like that's really random. Like, okay, strange. And so people started talking more and more to the point where administrators reached out to CPS.
1: Oh, shit. And they were okay. like, "Hey,
0: you might want to check on this. So, CPS couldn't confirm any abuse was happening inside the house. When they went to investigate, all of the other kids said that the baby daddy ran away to Mexico, too. So, CPS was like, Mother forker ran away to Mexico. What a horrible person. They closed their investigation and they're like, We do such good work. And they pat themselves on the back, and that was a good day for them. So, that's it. Eddie, though, decides, Oh shit, I'm not going to take any chances, though, because CPS literally just investigated our family about these kids. So, I'm not going to risk it anymore anymore. He would make every family member keep a daily journal of all of their activities and if they ever saw their siblings talking to anyone, like if they saw fucking, I don't know, let's make up a name, um Karen talking to someone at school, like you got to write it down in your journal, write down who she was talking to so they can trace it back to if word got around about abuse, who said it, who said what to who. So he made all of these kids keep a daily journal. Nobody was allowed out of the house without him giving the okay. Like, Mm -hmm. not even in the backyard. Finally, finally, Eddie's like, hey... Pixie I think it's time That you get a boyfriend Because these rumors Are getting out of hand You need to start Dating someone Hopefully marry someone And that's gonna be The game plan So Pixie is like Okay well I will do Anything you say So she goes And she meets a guy By the name of Joel Good Right And Joel He goes to high school With her And he came from A really rough family So both of his parents Died when he was really young Mm -hmm. So he moved to Ohio To be with his aunt Mm -hmm. And he was Like they were just Pretty much parenting him Right Mm -hmm. And raising him He was known to be This sounds like horrible, like just super sweet and overly trusting. Um, in the book, it said that he's slow witted and overly trusting, but he, he just was like, uh, expected the best in everyone. Like he was such a good guy. You know how, when you meet someone who's so nice that they can't even wrap their head around the idea that other people are mean or evil, like it just doesn't make sense to them. Right. He was one of those people and he really, really liked Pixie. And he was like, I think you're really pretty. He did find out that she was a single parent, obviously. And he was like, that's okay. Like I'm here now. You know, he wanted to help her raise these kids that weren't even his. And in high school, that's a big, that's a big promise. And so they start dating and they get married, full on married. And Eddie Lee Sexton is the one doing the, you know, he's like, I, I say, yo, I don't know. How I thought called. I thought
1: she's only married to Eddie.
0: Yes, but he wanted her to marry him.
1: Okay, so, so how do you explain that? I thought...
0: Yeah, so she was he was like, It's okay. I'm married to everyone. He was uh, like, You need to do this for Satanism. Okay. For the son of Lucifer, you know? And so she was like, Okay. So he married the both of them and this is like Joel adopted the two kids like he signed their birth certificates he was like I'm marrying you now so these are my kids too mm-hmm. and he was so happy his entire family just advised him against it they were like I don't know you know how what this life is going to be like for you to be a parent to someone where you don't even know the parentage of these two children like you don't know who their dad is mm-hmm. it's just going to be intense but he was like I love her guys and so they get married and they move into an apartment really really close to the sexton house
1: Mm, right
0: so now pixie is an adult she is legally an adult right keep Mm -hmm. this in mind now pixie wasn't allowed by her dad to consummate the marriage so they weren't allowed to have sex what yeah so joel was like excited because it's like oh we just got married like let's do it right and pixie was like i can't i don't know what kind of excuse she could possibly give but the dad for the longest time was like you can't have sex with joel like you can only have sex with me Mm -hmm. People have been making fun of my uniform, which has been sweatpants and just like a baggy sweatshirt, okay? Everyone's like, you need to change it up. What's going on? Like, you've been wearing this all last year. It's 2021. It's time for something fresh. And if you guys are kind of stuck in this weird style rut, Stitch Fix might be the place for you. They offer clothing hand selected by expert stylists for your unique size, style, and budget. It's a completely different and fun way to find clothes that you're going to end up loving. So every piece is chosen for your fit and your life, and it's an easy solution of finding what makes you look and feel your best. I was going through this problem where there was just so many websites, like people are like, you should check out this website. And then I go on there and there's just 5,000 million pages of shirts. Stitch Fix, life-changing. You try on pieces at home before you buy them and you keep what you love and you return what you don't. They have free shipping, easy returns, and exchanges. They also send you a prepaid return envelope so that it's super easy. You don't have to leave your house. There's no subscription required. You can actually try it once or set up automatic deliveries and you just pay a $20 styling fee for each box. Now, that $20 styling fee, it actually gets credited towards the pieces that you keep. So there's really no hidden fees. So whether you guys want women's styles, men's styles, or kids' styles, they ship all over the US, and they're available in the UK now as well. So get started today at stitchfix.com slash rotten, and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. That's stitchfix.com slash rotten for 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. Again, the stitchfix.com slash So, this is when the whole case starts to unravel. A girl by the name of Shelly. That's not her like full name but we, we're just gonna call her shelly mm-hmm. so she is a sexton kid and she went to our school ca- guidance counselor's office and she just unloaded everything onto that guidance counselor's desk she was like yeah i'm getting raped like this is what's going on in my house and she was emotional she was shaken like it was just a lot she stated at that appointment that she was pregnant and Do you know
1: that, how old was she? was she in high school middle school i believe middle school Wow. Yeah.
0: So um, she, say, she stated that she was pregnant, that her father and her brothers were attempting to kill the baby. And they're like, wait, what? What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And so she said that, you know, her dad started beating her when she got home and her brother attempted to kick her in the stomach. And he had done the same thing to another sister when they had found out that she was pregnant with the dad's child. He had kicked her in the stomach and it caused her to miscarry the baby. Jeez. Now the guidance counselors Immediately call authorities They immediately call CPS They take her away From the family right And uh-huh. they Sent her to a doctor There was Obvious evidence That she was being abused In the household But thankfully She wasn't pregnant So whether she was Feeling these symptoms Because a lot of her siblings Had gone through it Or uh. because she was so Scared of this That she just You know when you're so scared Of being pregnant You're like I'm pregnant for sure Right yeah. She was probably Going through that moment But like at such a young age Right Now Eddie at this point was freaking balls to the walls because now CPS is like oh no 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 like this is no longer about some kids where we don't know the baby daddy like this is about you raping your own children like we're fully on investigating you like there is no if and buts or what's Uh and so they go full in on this right and so Eddie was no longer allowed to live in the family home like he was just kicked out like this was the only way otherwise they were going to take away all of the children like the minor children from the household and Uh so they decided it would be better if eddie was no longer legally allowed inside the house for the brief time that the investigation would take place right Uh now at this point shelly is at a foster care system so she's no longer in the house either Uh and estella calls shelly one day And it's like, listen, mommy misses you so much. Mommy loves you so much. Mommy needs you to come home for one day. And so she was like, I'll call your foster parents and I'll see like if it's okay. Because, you know, obviously Eddie is no longer here and I just miss you as a mother. And so she was like, yeah, I mean, I guess I miss you too. And she was like, okay, like my foster parents said, yes, like I guess I can sleep over tonight. So she goes back to her family home. Her dad's not there. She's excited. Her mom's hugging her, acting like, oh my God, I love you so much. I'm so sorry. I couldn't protect you, you know and so she goes upstairs to sleep and -hmm. in the middle of the night she starts hearing some noise downstairs some banging so she goes to investigate and eddie is sitting there and he tells her to sit down next to him and he says if you ever say anything i will kill you i will kill you you know what they say about snitches the best ones are dead that was one of his favorite quotes okay So she returns to foster care, immediately calls the police and tells them that she lied about everything.
1: Oh, no. And that
0: she will never testify against him because she's a liar now obviously you know she refused to go back to the house because they were like okay well if he's a liar do you want to go back home and she was like no I, I'd love to stay with my foster family if that's okay and the police obviously knew that she didn't lie like they knew that she wasn't lying they were like oh, okay like obviously something happened here where okay. she is now changing her mind so they decided to still investigate now Eddie finds this out and he's starting to get really stressed out about this he's like what the heck the judge hears about this they launch a full on investigation six of six Six of the children in the house were minors. Three of them reported nothing. So they said, oh, I have never been abused. Like nothing has ever happened to me. I've never seen abuse in this house. Three of them told the authorities, yes, I have been abused. And so they were taken away from the house and placed in foster care while waiting for the investigation to finish. Uh Now, Estella, the mom, she demanded to get custody back of those kids. So she filed all these court orders. But then she was a no show on the day that she was supposed to show up in court. So it's just kind of like, what? Like, what was all of this for? And one of the other daughters, she told her foster parents that her mom was also sexually abusing her. They took her into the doctors and the medical exam showed vaginal scarring that was consistent with her stories. So that's when the Stark County took custody of all of the minor children. Now, this is where it gets confusing because somewhere along the way, um, they like end up kind of kidnapping three of them back. It's just all sorts of weird, right? They start trying to attempt to slow down the legal process because both of the parents are trying to get all of their kids in check. Like they're scrambling at this point. They're like, we need to talk to all of these kids and scare the living daylights out of them so that they don't talk during trial. Because once trial hits, we can't have access to them and they're going to spill all the beans. So they're trying to delay the process of trial that's impending so that they can, you know, scare these kids absolutely insane they filed a motion to the court saying that they are native american so they need to be tried in tribal court (laughs) and they're just like but you're not native american and they're like but we are they're like but you're not but we are like it was just a shit show it was like what are you doing like you know you're lying i know you're lying it was like one of those lies where both sides are like really like you think.
1: What are you doing
0: right now Uh And so that's when Eddie decides to film A three hour video on a VHS tape Denying all the abuse charges against him Saying that he was a victim of prosecution Against his brother Because his brother agreed to testify against him as well And so he's saying it's all my brother Like he's always been jealous of me (laughs) He also said that the Stark County authorities were holding a grudge on him because he is just such a motivational leader, and he is someone who is moving the community to do better things. He would actually physically mail the copy of this video to President Bill Clinton and the Attorney General Janet Reno. Uh Yeah, he was just like, they need to see this. They need to see what an innocent man that I am. I highly doubt it even landed on their office. It's probably some intern was like, what the fork? And just trashed it because what Uh what is this so then he calls the local police station or the local news station Mm -hmm. and he says that he's being harassed by the local government he is barricaded inside of his house he's armed and he will kill any worker or police officer who approaches his home so what does this news station do they're like go we need to get footage of this so they camp out outside his house they call the police they're like if anything happens we gotta be the first one to get this right and so they're camping out the police end up there was a standoff a full-on cult-like standoff that was aired on tv channel five news
1: so he's like letting it all go now
0: yeah just letting it all go but that's not even the end we're only like half not even halfway in what yeah they go on the run Oh so my at this God. point he's talking to all the authorities and the judge and the judge is like listen i'm gonna reason with you okay i'm gonna reason with you and he's like i'm only barricading myself inside my house because i'm so innocent because i have nothing to lose you guys took the only thing i care about my children and so the judge is like okay i'm gonna reason with you like don't hurt anyone how about i do two things for you I am going to have the caseworker removed from the case. We're not going to close the case, but we're just going to get you a new caseworker because you keep saying that this CPS employee has it out for you. Right. Has this whole conspiracy theory against you. Uh And then we're not going to remove any more children from your house. okay? like especially your adult children. We can't legally remove them. Like we're not going to take away your adult children either. But you have to agree to surrender to the police outside. So he's like, okay. So he surrenders to the police. He gets arrested, and he immediately posts seven thousand five hundred dollar bail and is released. Now the judge said that this was her biggest regret ever because they went on the run. Three of their minor children, several adult children, including Joelle Good and Pixie and her three babies. So she had another baby. Joelle
1: Good with with them with them.
0: Yeah. Now people think that Pixie's third child, named Skipper, is um is Eddie's, but um it gets complex we'll get into it so they had all of these people cramped into a van it was like 11 people at a time cramped into this van roaming around the country and it was intense they went from oklahoma to florida like they were just doing all this crazy stuff okay now in one situation they started forcing the children to engage and practice in paramilitary drills like full-on cult full-on cult this like full on reminds me of Waco, Texas situations, you know, and so they just start practicing like these like how to shoot a gun, how to do this, which is never a good idea. The children start drinking heavily and huffing paint, sniffing paint, which I always think is like the, the most it's the most complex drug usage that I can't wrap my head around
1: actually they just just open a bottle of paint
0: yeah so i googled it and apparently you literally just like sniff household items that have toxic fumes so paint Mm. it's not like elmer's paint you know like it's not like elmer's glue some people call it sniffing glue like it's got to be like home depot like that good good i'm kidding but like you know something more industrial not Mm. as i mean you can get it maybe sometimes with like bleach i think am i giving a tutorial that's not good but don't do it it like kills all your brain cells like at once
1: Mm. You know, so they're doing all that
0: to feel high, I guess. Now sniffing paint is usually people do it when they don't want to pay for street drugs. It's like real drugs. They're like, well, you know, a bottle of bleach is like what two bucks okay yeah so it's very strange so they're all getting high now there was a woman who had been somewhat of a family friend to them at one point and she let them stay in her house she was like of course like obviously I don't know why you guys are on the run but like I I know that you would never abuse your kids so she was like please stay in my living room I have a pull-out couch so she goes upstairs to sleep and she goes downstairs in the middle of the night because she's feeling thirsty she needs a glass of water this is her home she can do whatever she wants okay now she's walking down the stairs and And she sees in the middle of the night, Estella, the mom, down on her knees, giving fellatio to one of her sons. And she sees the youngest minor daughter Uh crawling all over her dad. So the way that she described it is really, um, really just raw, I guess. But she said like a sex maniac on drugs. Because she had been groomed like that. Like it was so alarming for her to see that because that's not how kids behave in any way. That's not even how adults behave, you know, Mm -hmm. but especially not kids. And so they she was just so disgusted. They saw that she saw this. Uh And the next day they were like, oh, yeah, we're going to go. We're going to get out of your hair. Um, We're just going to go back and maybe look for our cousins or something and stay with them. And they left one single bullet on her kitchen counter. And she never said a word until after they were arrested. She was like, I guess not, because they know where I live. They know who I am. And they're (sighs) probably going to kill me. Now, what's crazy is while on the run, nothing comes between Eddie and his money. So he would drive back to Ohio every single month to cash his disability checks. Yeah, that were mailed to his house which is insane is because um they were low priority arrest warrants so they had arrest warrants out for them but not really and because this was going to be handled in family court the rules are really different so they try to protect the anonymity of the children so they don't put this out in the press like they would a regular criminal case mm. so if a guy is like going around raping people they would put it out in the press but if it is in family court it's a lot harder to deal with like the nuances of like okay this is like so detrimental to everyone in involved and Mm -hmm. so it just wasn't getting a lot of people's eyes on it so it wasn't like all of the neighbors were like oh hey eddie like i'm gonna take you to jail now because you've got a bond out for you and i want five thousand dollars you know there's reward money out for you they were just like hey eddie haven't seen you in a while because they didn't know Mm -hmm. a lot of them had no idea now they eventually get to little manatee state park And they befriend a random dude by the name of Ray Hessert. Now, he's going to become important later. Um, Ray Hessert had retired after selling his very successful business. And he had done a little bit with that money. He had bought himself like this crazy luxury RV. And Mm -hmm. he was just traveling across country by himself because he had worked his entire life. And he was like, you know what? I deserve this. I deserve to see the world, you know? And so he's driving around and he meets the Sextons. And he's like, wow, these people are really nice. Now, the Sextons, on the other hand, were like, wow. That's a nice RV. So they start coming up with a plan where Pixie would seduce Ray. Now, by the way, this plan, Joel's there. Like, he's listening to this. But he could have no say because all of the Sexton boys would beat him up. Like, he would regularly get beat up physically by Eddie Lee Sexton, his father-in-law, but multiple of his brother-in-laws.
1: So he's literally a prisoner at this point. Yeah. He's getting chained around.
0: And it seems like the only reason he's even doing all of this is because his son, Skipper that he has with pixie which a lot of people speculate is not even his biological son but to joel that was his life okay
1: and he saw all the things that's happening Uh
0: uh-huh and so um they're like yeah pixie you're gonna go have sex with ray and in the middle of it you're gonna kill him and we're all gonna come in we're all gonna strangle him together we're gonna drain his bank accounts because he's retired and we're gonna steal this luxury rv and we're just gonna run around town with it because look at that rv that's a that's a crazy rv so obviously, Ray eventually gets very suspicious of them, and he starts lying. He's like, "Yeah, I'm just gonna drive my RV to the local gas station, fill up on tank, and I'm gonna be right back." And mm-hmm. he didn't come right back. He was like, "I'm dipping out of here, or like I'm gone, leaving." Gone. He he was like, "Gone, gone." But okay. um, later there would be a whole trial for him because they attempted to murder him, and I don't know why they were like, "Yeah, let's try him for that," and not all the sexual abuse. So we'll get into it. So then there became the Joel and Pixie drama. So they're all cramped out in this van together, all 11 of them. And Joel and Pixie just were not getting along. Joel was in love with her. He was trying to hold her hand. He was trying to kiss her. He was trying to be a family with her. Like This is what he expected when he adopted the children, when he married her. And she just was kind of tolerating him, barely, right? She was just like, ugh, like you're kind of annoying. Like I just want to make out with my dad. And it was just really intense, right? And so Pixie's son, Skipper, starts crying while they're at a campsite. Now, Uh at this point, they were violating occupancy and the time limit rules. And the crying baby was going to get all of these neighbors probably to complain about them. And then they would realize that, oh, wait, you guys are violating all of these rules. You got to get out of here. And Uh it would be a shit show. So... Pixie has always been evil with the baby. I'm just going to put that straight up. Some people make it seem like she was a good mom. She was never a good mom. She was a shitty mom. She would slap that baby around. This is a newborn baby and she would slap the baby around with the front of her with the front of her palm, the back of her palm. I don't know what you call that, but she would just do like a just like constantly, you know, like you're just moving your hand in a slapping motion so that you slap them both ways. Like that's what she would do to her baby. And every time her baby would get slapped, It would just be shocked into silence. Now, Joel tried to show Skipper love, but he just could never protect the kid. I mean, he himself was getting slapped around by the family. Now, eventually, at this point, Skipper, the baby, was crying because the baby was ill. The -hmm. baby could not hold down any food. He could not sleep. He was in a cold sweat. And the doctors later think that it's because Pixie would pour adult strength NyQuil down his throat every day so that he wouldn't be an active baby.
1: Oh, my God. Goodness. An
0: active baby is a healthy baby but she was like no and she would just pour NyQuil down his throat and so the baby boy was sick like he was sick like he was gonna die if they didn't get medical attention and Eddie was like well obviously you're not going to the doctor. Now there's some allegations some siblings say Pixie never even wanted to take Skipper to the doctor and then some siblings say oh no it was because dad wouldn't let her take the baby to the doctor so I, I don't think it matters regardless right and so the baby's crying and it's stressing Eddie Lee's and out and so he tells her silence the baby or else i will so while she's in bed with joelle next to her she starts smothering her own son to death
1: she's starting
0: she covered his mouth and his nose until he turned blue joelle woke up the next morning started screaming my son my son And Eddie ran into the room acting surprised when he knew what happened. Pixie acted surprised. And Eddie said, oh, you know what must have happened? I know something. It's called sudden infant death syndrome. SIDS. That's what happened to your baby. Terrible. I feel terrible. But oh well.
1: So the dad and the daughter murdered the baby.
0: Pixie would later say that she believed that her dad could resurrect the baby. Because he has powers. Now, I don't know if this was a defense. I don't know if this was like saving your ass afterwards because she's legally an adult. I don't know what that was or if she truly did believe that her dad could resurrect her baby. I don't know. Okay. And so, I mean, it seemed most of the siblings said that Pixie wasn't really sad about it. Um, She didn't seem emotional. And they they buried the baby in a duffel bag just like on the side of the woods. So Pixie keeps telling Joelle, like, no, my dad's right. It's sudden infant death syndrome. But Joelle was just getting suspicious. Like, throughout this entire trip on the run, he's starting to notice all of these crazy things about the family, right? And he's like, I just don't feel like it was sudden infant death syndrome. Like, how could I know nothing about this? And so they were finally like, okay, let's go read about it. So they go to the University of Tampa and they have a library, a public library. So they're like, we just need to go read up books about it. And Pixie's like, okay, sounds good, I guess. Now, there was a librarian there by the name of Gail novak now gail would later testify in court so she's crucial to this story right and so she's helping joelle find books about sid's and she's very compassionate she's like i'm so sorry for your loss yeah like i can find you books about it and that's when all of a sudden an angry man eddie storms into the library super pissed because he did not give them permission to go to the library and he physically starts slapping them around in the middle of the library And who joelle and pixie and gail is just standing there like um what? And she's looking at this. So she's there. He's physically assaulting the couple. And that's when Pixie You know, it's like, Dad, come here. Like, I need to talk to you. And so she pulls her dad aside. Joelle's crying. And Gail is just witnessing all of this. And Gail is trying to eavesdrop on their conversation. And Pixie tells Eddie, Joelle wants to go home. He wants to take Skipper's body to Ohio to have a proper burial. Like, to have a grave so that he can visit. And he just wants to go back to Ohio. Uh Uh-huh. And that's when the dad looks at Pixie and he says, he can return, but only as a corpse. And just walks out of there. So the librarian, Gail, is like, oh, hell no. So she heard all of this. So she immediately calls the campus police and tells them everything. And they tell her, it's probably a joke.
1: Yeah, it sounds like a threat. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't sound like, oh, yeah, we're going to take care of this dude.
0: Yeah. And she was like, what? And they were like, yeah, I wouldn't really worry about it. Yeah. She's like, what? (laughs) So my sister just had a baby. And now everyone's asking me, where's your baby? (laughs) Before all of this, everyone would be like, don't you think it's your time? Your time is running out. You need to have a baby now or never. Now is the best time to have a baby. And I just got really confused by this because fertility is one of those things that I just was so puzzled by. You've probably thought about the next step in your career or your relationship, but have you thought about planning for kids? Women are actually having children later in life, but biology hasn't changed and we need these tools to understand the future of our fertility. That's why modern fertility was created. It's an affordable way to get your fertility hormones at home tested with a single finger prick. You mail it back to Modern Fertility with a prepaid label and you'll get personalized results within 10 days. Now, what are these results, you ask? You get insight on how many eggs you have, hormone levels, and other really important fertility factors. And these results go deep into what every hormone means. And you can also talk one-on-one with a fertility nurse to review your results and your options for the next steps. I think it's really important. It's just given me such freedom and such peace of mind knowing, hey, I know what I should know at this point and I'm really comfortable with my decision to not have children right now. Traditional testing with a doctor can cost over $1,000 but Modern Fertility only costs $159 to get the same exact information. If you guys go to modernfertility.com rotten, you can get $20 off of your test. Also if you have HSA or FSA you can use those dollars on Modern Fertility. So maybe you want kids today. Maybe you want them one day in the future. This clinically sound information can help you make the decision Decision that's best for you right now modern fertility is offering you guys twenty dollars off the test when you go to modernfertility.com rotten that means your test will cost 139 dollars instead of the probably thousands it could cost at a doctor's office so get twenty dollars off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com rotten that's modern fertility.com slash rotten So at this point, both Pixie and Eddie are getting so sick of Joelle. So Eddie's getting sick of Joelle because it's like, what are you doing? Like, why are you trying to go back to Ohio? You're giving me a headache. And Pixie's getting sick of Joelle because she's like, stop talking about SIDS. I don't even care. Mm hmm and so that's when they start training one of the adult sons with a garrote I think it's what it's called but it's essentially like um, this wire or a string that you would attach to two things that you can hold so it's kind of like a it's not necessarily like a gun like it's something that you can make at home kind of so it's like a string and then you attach it to handles so like think of like a cheese cutter I know that sounds really bad but like one of those cheese wires it's got the handles and it's got this really sharp wire that you put through cheese and it cuts it Mm -hmm. but a lot of the times it's used to strangle people so that you can have a handle while you're strangling people. Oh,
1: there's a strangling tool? Yeah. Oh yeah. my goodness.
0: And so, you know, Eddie is telling his adult son, who is, by the way, like best friends with Joel, like he's like the one that gets along with Joel really, really well. And he's like, okay, Willie, like, uh, well, he's an adult son, so I can, you know, fully just out him. He's like, okay, Willie, um, you need to just put Joel to sleep. So you're just going to strangle him a little bit to put him to sleep. So he's like, "Okay, sounds good. Anything for you, Dad." So they go on a walk together, Eddie, Joel, and Willie, and that's when Eddie's like, "Do it now." And Willie starts strangling Joel. And he falls to the ground, and he keeps going and keeps going until there was blood coming out of Joel's ears.
1: Oh my god. And Joel's But you say that's his best friend.
0: Yeah. And so he's slumped on the ground and he's like, Eddie's telling William, like, it's okay. All you did is put him to sleep, right? Uh-huh. And then he's like, let go of him. So now Joel's laying on the ground. Eddie kicks his body and he moves a little bit. So now Eddie's pissed and he says, all right, never mind. I need you to finish him. And it said that William did this while crying because he did not understand that he just killed someone. But he had to follow the orders. So he killed him. Now, Pixie gets rid of all of Joelle's belongings inside the van, and Eddie tells Willie to chop off Joelle's arms so that they no one can ID him. He was like, grab the machete, cut off his arms, go full on, you know, Lawrence Singleton. Um, two weeks ago, podcast go watch it it's insane and so he was like cut off the arm so that no one can identify Joel if they find him buried but Willie tried he couldn't go through with it autopsies later show that there was um, severe marks on his right hand with a sharp object so that's probably when William was trying but just like I don't know if he freaked out I don't know what happened right Mm -hmm. and they eventually buried him very close to Skipper's body and all of the the children were instructed if anyone ever asks you tell people oh I don't know Joel took the baby skipper and went back to Ohio I don't know if he made it to Ohio safely So at this point, Eddie keeps calling Stark County officials to negotiate the terms of surrender, which is kind of crazy. Right. So he keeps giving these dates and he never shows up. So this is just another situation where he was torturing the authorities like he felt good about the power that he had. He felt good that these authorities were probably waiting at this spot that he said he was going to surrender himself in. Right. He -hmm. just got a kick out of it. But this would ultimately be his major downfall because they got the FBI involved. They were like, hey, uh, this guy keeps taunting the local police department and we need you to help us so the FBI were like oh well technically he's a fugitive then so they were searching for him because of his unlawful flight to avoid prosecution which is against the law and so they traced his phone calls to a phone booth near that lake in Florida so January 14th 1994 they start their stakeout they're like watching this whole family and their game plan was like we've dealt with families like this we've dealt with cults like this you don't want to ambush them you don't want them to be inside and you say FBI open up because you don't know if there could Mm. be like this mass suicide murder that happens right Mm. and so um they said we gotta wait so they wait until Estella and Eddie just by themselves drive to a local Winn-Dixie which is like a grocery store and they're literally arguing inside of the parking lot like in the car before they get out Mm -hmm. and the FBI was like we just gotta do it now and they just bust open the doors and arrest them Nice. So they arrest them. Now, um, at home in Ohio, there was Eddie Lee Jr., who was a full-grown adult child. And he had kind of, so a lot of these kids, once they were 18, they tried as hard as they can to distance themselves from the family, obviously. And he had some of the minor kids come live with him Uh after the parents were arrested. Uh And that is when some of these minor children tell their brother, Eddie Lee Jr., that two people died while they were on the run. And he immediately contacts the authorities and tells them everything. Now, this is going to be a shit show for authorities because all of the children are interviewed and questioned. But it's just really intense, you know? Like, there was just so much going on. So all of the children were very evasive or had contradicting answers. They all displayed major psychiatric problems like PTSD, psychotic breaks, vivid nightmares. So it's really hard to distinguish, like, okay, which one's the truth? What is a nightmare? What is... Actually, what happened what happened to you versus what happened to you, but also like what's going on. And then like at times they just didn't want to talk or they just would be like, oh, I made everything up. Sorry. So it was just a lot of back and forth of like, ah, how do we even do this without even further damaging their mental health? And so they decided to do DNA testing on Pixie's two children, the two eldest children that she had before she started dating Joelle. And there was a 99 percent likelihood that Eddie was the father. From the dna testing mm-hmm. now they wanted to do dna testing on the third child but they felt so bad for joelle's family they just couldn't the authorities did not do testing on skipper to save joelle's family the heartache because joelle's pride and joy was his son skipper they were even buried in the same casket together
1: And so imagine
0: after the funeral, after the burial, they're like, by the way, that's not your son's son. Or like, that's not your, you know, family member's son.
1: That's true. How
0: devastating that would be.
1: Yeah. And
0: also to say, like, technically, maybe Joel died for nothing because, you know, I'm sure that thought would come up. Yeah. So they were just like, "Okay, we're not going to do that after eddie lee jr contacts the police about what happened to skipper and joelle i mean it was a shit show pixie and william were arrested they were adult children so they were arrested for the murder of joelle and skipper good now estella may sexton she started pleading no contest she was like ready she pled no contest to two counts of rape three counts of complicity to rape one count of complicity to felonious felon sexual penetration two counts of gross sexual imposition two counts of complicity to gross sexual imposition three counts of child endangering 13 counts total now no contest is a little very it's a little bit different so no contest does not mean not guilty so that means she's not going to have a trial so no contest is not allowed in a lot of states like you can't even plead it like the judge won't even accept this plea they Mm -hmm. won't even be like okay sounds good it just means that you're saying that you're not guilty like you're not admitting guilt but you're also saying hey like punish me however you want to punish me like i'm not gonna try to put up a fight about it Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like a weird place now a lot of people think that she did this very strategically so if she had pled guilty Mm -hmm. So a lot of the times, like states that do have the no contest plea, they will also let you plead guilty and prosecutors like it when you plead guilty and they will even shave time off your prison sentence just so that they can get that guilty plea. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason is because if you plead no contest, Mm -hmm. it can never be brought up in another court case. So if you get arrested after you're released, they can never bring this up in the court of law. They can't. You also can't get sued for this crime in civil court. And I think that's why Estella made pled no contest versus why? because her children were probably going to try to sue her.
1: Okay. Really? So
0: if she pled guilty, then in civil court, it's like, well, how can you take back your guilty plea now? You literally already said you did it. Mm, but in no contest it's like she'd probably get more time Mm -hmm. but at least she can't get sued in civil court which i think is really weird Mm -hmm. so i mean that one was confusing i had to look through multiple different sources for this one but i don't know if you guys have more legal information about this because i know it's also different from the alfred plea too so there's just a lot of different pleas you can make or just stay home and make peace. that was a bad one (laughs) (laughs) you know it's not my day So she was sentenced to 13 to 25 years in prison. Now, she would later be sentenced in the state of Ohio, but that we'll get to that. So she was sentenced to um, two extra years for the abuse of Lana Sexton in particular. And then another trial, she was sentenced for over a dozen abuse charges against her other children. And that she was sentenced to life in prison. For accessory to rape, now October two thousand and seventeen, she would die of natural causes at seventy years old in prison. Now Pixie, she was sentenced to six years for manslaughter. She did not six years six years for manslaughter for smothering her child to death. This was in exchange for testimony against her father, and in order to back this up, because a lot of people were pissed, you know, especially Joel Good's family. A lot of locals were pissed. How do you get six years for smothering your own child to death, a baby? Mm-hmm. And there. Was the defense that a lot of psychologists do believe is that she was an extreme example of postpartum depression saying that uh, victims of abuse have a much higher than average rates of killing their own children so this was you know you have to take that into consideration is I guess what they were saying but a lot of people were still pissed that it was just six years because that's that's Mm -hmm. a really low sentence for murdering a child Mm -hmm. and Willie Sexton William Sexton who strangled Joelle Good to death Mm -hmm. he had been diagnosed with borderline mentally handicapped IQ, so also being functionally illiterate. So he was illiterate to the point where he would not be able to function in normal society like most people. Wow. The judge found him unfit to stand trial due to c- serious psychiatric problems, and he was ordered to a mental health facility for treatment. Later, he would testify against his dad and plead guilty to second-degree mur- second murder and was sentenced to 25 years in prison. Now, there would be two trials for Eddie Lee Sexton. The first trial was the attempted murder plot against Ray Hesser. And for that one, Eddie accepted a plea bargain and was sentenced to 15 years in conspiracy to commit kidnapping and murder. The second trial was the murder of Joelle Good. Now, William testified that Eddie ordered him to kill him, but Eddie's defense was trying to paint Pixie and William as the murders, that they did this, they were conspiring together, that was all them. And the judge noted that during this entire trial, Eddie continually looked relaxed and in control of the whole thing. Now, the star witness was Gail, the librarian, who had literally heard him threaten Joelle's life before Joelle was murdered. Mm. Now, all of the other children's testimonies were kind of all over the place because they were dealing with a lot of, lot of things going on. On in their life and you know gail she has no incentive to lie she was a credible witness she was a third party who had no affiliation with this family and so her testimony was probably the most important thing wow. and after three hours he was found guilty and sentenced to death He tried to appeal it and it didn't really work because his excuse was that he had um, a dysfunction in his prefrontal cortex, which means that he has this excuse that he has diminished level of self-control. He just can't control himself before he rapes his children, right? And the judge said...
1: So he's no longer the son of Lucifer anymore? Yeah. (laughs) Okay.
0: Yeah. And so the judge says that doesn't make any sense because your crimes show that you put a lot of considerable planning and concealment over many, many years... Mm -hmm. which usually means that you've got impeccable self-control dude Mm -hmm. and so they were like we're not accepting your appeal so he was sentenced to death but he died of natural causes in a florida prison when he was 68 years old he was never formally charged or tried for any of the sexual abuse against his children
1: what why is that
0: it would be a lot of money and a lot of trauma Because he was already sentenced to death, but to put his kids through that, to put this huge trial on, and this jury has to witness this. And also, like, all of the kids' testimonies, again, even to this point, were very inconsistent because of the trauma that they had endured. It would be very difficult for prosecutors to sit down and try to sort things out, Mm. you know, and prep them to testify because, you know, the lawyers would... The defense attorneys would cross-examine them to hell.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: So it was that's true now i don't really like to end a podcast on a sad note so we're going in with a light incest story if they can ever be light let's get started in mother freaking florida yes Florida. So this takes place in Key Biscayne, Florida, which is about a 20-minute drive from Miami. And it's much more refined than Miami. Miami is a party town. Key Biscayne has like that gated community vibe to it. So it was um, described to be a very modest but pretentious at the same time type of situation. So like the, think about if they were people if Miami was a person, they're wearing a Gucci shirt. If Key Biscayne was a person, they're wearing a Gucci shirt without a Gucci logo. And looking down at the Miami person wearing a Gucci logo. Does that make sense? Like, that's yeah. kind of, like, the vibe. They're just like, oh, we're rich, but, like, we don't want to tell people we're rich, but we also want them to know that we're rich, but, like, we're not going to tell them. There is an apartment there called the Governor's Large Apartment Condos, and um, it's really intense. Like, it's very exclusive to even live there, which I always find to be very fascinating. Like, what do you mean? If you got the money you can't live there and they're like no it's exclusive we don't have open units you got to be waitlisted and so nothing ever bad happens at a place like this they say
1: <laughs>
0: plot twist newsflash bad things happen everywhere especially florida I'm just kidding. So it all starts with a woman by the name of Candice Mosler, which is kind of like a normal name, but um, because it was a normal name, she was like, call me Candy. So she went by Candy Mosler her entire life, and everyone described her to be a full-on real-life Barbie. She was glamorous. She had this platinum blonde hair. And to make things even more intense, she kept her real age a secret from everyone in her entire life. There was not enough money that you could pay Candy. There was not enough candy you could give Candy for her to tell you her birth year. She just refused. It was said that even a lot of her relatives like forgot when she was born and then she would never tell them again. She'd be like, that's your fault. Bye. So like (sighs) even her family members are like, wait, how old are you again? And she's like, oh, you don't need to know. So, I mean, I feel like that was more common back in the day. These days, everyone's like, I'm old and I'm proud, you know. But back in the day, it was not like that. Now, the one thing that Candy did have that was um, like really bad was that she had these crazy migraines. Wait, so you
1: don't even know how old she is? No. (laughs) How old does she look? I mean... Is she in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s?
0: Man, I can definitely tell that there's some Juvederm hanging out with her face. But like I feel like maybe 40s, maybe. Okay. So she did suffer from major migraines for most of her life and they were debilitating, meaning like she would sometimes go to the hospital, like she would drop everything, go to the hospital. This was not a situation where she's like, I have a headache, I need a Tylenol. Like it Uh was a major, major migraine. This is very pertinent to the story a little later on. So she had an occupation of owning like this model center. So she would train, it was kind of like a finishing school if you guys watch the Blood Countess podcast. It's kind of like she would train these people on how to be models. She was modeling at one point. And so people would come to our school and they would learn from the best, which was Candy and keep or in Houston, Texas, actually. And so um she was a socialite, right? So her second husband, she hits the jackpot. She marries a man by the name of Jacques Mosla. Now I don't know if it's pronounced Jack, because that's what I read that you pronounce this name as Jack, which would be very infuriating because that is a very fancy way of spelling Jack, but it's J A C Q U E S. Okay. Now he was a multimillionaire. He owned a lot of banks, like a chain of banks that ran from Texas to Florida. So he had a ton and his work ethic was insane. So to give you a little bit about Jack, he is, he he came from a family that had nothing. So his mom was widowed and she provided for her entire family by herself. She was a single mom. He saw her just struggling day in, day out, and he was determined. She is never going to struggle again. Neither is my future wife, neither my future kids like I am just gonna take it upon myself to be the ultimate provider and that's exactly what he did he started from scratch and he built this crazy empire he was worth about 200 million dollars so man's was rich okay so his first marriage he has four children and he was known to be like this was when people saw a shift in Jack so in the beginning they were like oh my god like this guy all he does is work how will he ever have a family what's the point of work if you don't have a family they said and then he got married had four kids and he just completely changed He was obsessed with his children He put his kids before work And everyone was like This is crazy Mm -hmm. You know He's always been a workaholic But of course Things didn't go well And they got into a divorce And the kids went With their biological mom So they went with the mom Right Mm -hmm. And he would kind of See the kids here and there And then eventually I believe they would Move in with him later on But that's not until later Mm -hmm. So after the divorce He's just kind of like Doing his thing Mm -hmm. Going to fundraising events Doing what rich people do And that's where he meets A woman by the name of Candy Who was also really recently divorced. And let me tell you, Candy was ambitious. She was not just like a little because I feel like in a lot of um, different articles, it's almost phrased as if she was like this bimbo like mm-hmm. this blonde bimbo who just got really lucky and used her good looks but candy has always been a go-getter like after her first marriage she was struggling right mm-hmm. and so that's when she opened up her own business the finishing school the modeling school she started making a name for herself and so people really thought that she was like you know a successful entrepreneur it wasn't like she was like oh i just need to find a man with money mm-hmm. and so she was helping these fundraising events gather donations so mm-hmm. she was volunteering in her free time so she was like full-on social okay and mm-hmm. that's how she meets jack Mossler, and they start dating now i don't even know if jack knew her real age we don't even know their age difference um we just know that it was probably around 20 years that jack was older than her by like 20 years but um oh, wow. we don't know for sure <laughs> so
1: jack is probably in the 60s yeah
0: he's pretty old yeah okay yeah, yeah yeah so he proposes to her almost immediately and she like accepts she's like so excited right and they had such a beautiful marriage especially from the outside people they thought they were houston royalty so they had this massive home in houston we're gonna get to florida just you wait and they got a 28 bedroom mansion in houston texas (laughs) 28 bedroom mansion how many people does it take to clean a 28 bedroom mansion not that it fucking matters to them because they're probably not the ones cleaning it but like i'm just thinking like if i had to clean 28 bedrooms how long would that take me yeah, literally, yeah. you could have people living in some of those bedrooms and not even know it. This is like literally a prime example of those stories where you're like, someone was living in my attic and I had no idea. Yeah. Like this is just terrifying. And so Candy is immediately thrust into this rich lifestyle and she settled in like a natural. Like she had no problems being rich. She had always had a taste for finer things. She was always a glamorous woman. So it, this was like perfect for her. So they would start traveling between Houston to Key Biscayne for Florida where they had that condo and they were practically just Houston royalty now one day just to show you how crazy rich these people are one day Jack Mossler, he's watching TV in Houston and he learns about a guy on the local news who had suffered from like a manic episode and he killed his pregnant wife and the unborn child inside of his pregnant wife he killed them in a fit of rage he mm-hmm. just I don't know something was wrong with him then he packed up his four kids that were alive mm-hmm. into the car and crashed into the snowy banks near his house his name was leonard glenn and he was arrested and now the four children are alive and now they're orphaned because you know their mom is dead and their dad is going to jail for forever i mean he murdered his wife yeah and so (laughs) jack's watching this and he's like i've got 28 bedrooms i've got 200 million dollars i can totally take care of these kids and so they adopt the kids that they saw on the local news
1: was wh- why he he felt bad or yeah
0: he felt bad and he oh. loves kids So he was like, totally, I've got all the money. Like, I'm just going to adopt them. And Candy was excited. So they would have 10 children together. 10 children. So two from Candy's previous marriage, four from Jack's previous marriage. And then they adopted another four children. So they had 10 children. So I guess that's why they need 28 bedrooms. Actually, no, the math (laughs) still doesn't work out. So like, let's say each kid gets their own room. That's 10. Then the parents get a room. That's 11.
1: If that's 12 people, if each of them get two rooms... That's twenty four bedrooms. That makes sense. And then there there's are still four, four yes. left over.
0: Guest rooms, obviously. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. That makes sense, right? <laughs> like two bedrooms each, yeah. Yeah,
0: that makes sense. Yeah. I I totally grew up like that. For sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what you didn't? <laughs> weird.
0: So they had a huge family and of course after this adoption everyone was like obsessed with the Mossler family. They were like look at how just not only rich they are but look at those family values. Look at that. Now speaking of family values in comes another man by the name of Melvin Powers. Now this was Candy's nephew who was 24 years old at the time and he was a businessman from Alabama. He had been arrested on multiple occasions especially one In particular, in Michigan, where he was arrested for fraud and other contivities. He was just a con man, okay? And he had served 90 days in jail, and when he was released, he was like, "Mom, what do I do with my life? Like, I was in jail. No one's gonna hire me again. Like, I was literally in jail for fraud." Mm-hmm. Mom's like, "Well, you know, my sister just married this really crazy, powerful dude, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure he can get you a job if I can just ask. If I can just ask my sister for one small favor, I'm sure they can find you a spot somewhere in that massive company of his." Mm-hmm. And so he was like, "Okay, fine. I'll I'll move to Houston and see if I can get in touch with her." So he moves to Houston and he gets in touch with his aunt Candy. Hello, Valentine's Day freaks. Can I call y'all freaks? (laughs) Hello, Valentine's Day lovers. Everyone that I know you're thinking you were zoning out in this podcast, thinking about, okay, serial killers are great, but I could get murdered if I don't get the perfect Valentine's Day gift. Some crime could happen in this household if I don't get the perfect gift. Well, I'm here to save you, okay? Love book is a personalized gift that helps people express feelings that might be really difficult to say out loud. What if I could just like write them a book, like a customized book about our love story, about all the reasons why I love them, or just a About a very silly adventure that we once went on or maybe the future of our lives together that is what love book is here to do you can revisit your fondest memories or list the reasons why you love someone and it's completely customizable i mean it's amazing you can actually create these characters that look exactly like you or the recipient with all of the features that make them unique like you can pick their favorite hairstyles you can pick their outfits i spent so long because i wanted to get it perfect and even though you have the option to personalize every single page as much as you like they also have an express option for those people who are thinking i've got five valentine's day presents i need to get what do i do you can create a complete book in just a few minutes (laughs) so it's the perfect gift for any occasion but especially anniversaries birthdays and of course valentine's day you need to check out their website because they have so many cute little pages and so many cute options on how to customize everything and honestly if i got this for valentine's Day sir, if I got this for Valentine's Day, I, I mean, I would, cry, I would cry. It's so cute. So visit lovebookonline.com slash rotten to receive a special 20% discount only for you guys. Again, that is lovebookonline.com rotten. And he gets in touch with his aunt Candy and he's not really expecting much he's just like hey can I please work for you like do you have a position in your company for me and Jack being the amazing family man that he is he was like absolutely I can totally hire you so they meet in Houston for the first time Candy had never met him really like she just didn't really know that he existed that much like she was just like wow this is crazy like I can't believe this now to give you an age perspective Jack was probably 20 years older than Candy and Melvin was probably 20 years younger than candy so again i'm really confused by how old she is okay and so she well, that's he, kind of
1: easy to figure out you're like
0: 20 40 60 <laughs> bye <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And so he was her nephew by blood. This is her sister's son. Just keep that in mind. This is her nephew by blood. But it was said that immediately after meeting for the first time that they had a sexual tension. That the sexual tension was through the roof. That they just there was sparks flying in the air. They couldn't help themselves. They would hug a little too long. Who said this? Just all of them. Everyone who knew them were like there was just so much sexual tension and it was really really intense until they just full-on started doing it they had full-on affairs like they had sex i almost said s-e-x like i'm five i don't know why
1: the husband has no idea
0: So at first, the husband has no idea. Now, Candy has a defense. She says, whoa, whoa, whoa. before you think I'm like such a creepy, incestuous freak, just listen to me. It's because my husband, I just found out that he's gay. So she said that Jack had gotten sick and then all of a sudden he was struck with a quote unquote mysterious illness that left him homosexual yeah what yeah that he like got sick and then after he recovered from it he got another mysterious illness and it left him homosexual and she doesn't know what it is but it happened and now her life is shattered she doesn't know what to do her husband is no longer attracted to her because so she is homosexual
1: she must fuck her
0: so she must do what's normal and natural and fuck her nephew it makes sense (laughs) <laughs> and so she was just torn up by it. So it said that Jack had suffered respiratory issues and he had traveled to Europe to get treated for it because you know as one does when you're rich. So he was like I can't go to a Houston hospital. What the fork? I'm not a peasant. And so he went to like I don't know Italy to get treated and he gets treated by this. Now when he comes back people said that he was like a new man like he seemed younger. He kept saying that the ocean air is better for him. So he would start staying in um Key Biscayne more than he would stay in Houston because he was like it's just better for my health. It's better for my respiratory issues Mm -hmm. that i have salt water air just pulsing through my veins Mm -hmm. and so he would spend a lot of time in florida and it was said that he was kind of taking this time to explore sexuality so a lot of people do think that when he went to europe because europe is a lot more like was a lot more woke i guess than america during this time that he had more opportunities or maybe it was just the fact that he was without his wife and kids that he was just like you know what You only Mm. live once. Like, what was I doing with my whole life? And so she just became really close to Melvin, her nephew. And And Melvin was
1: living with them or Yeah, he was living in
0: one of their 28 bedrooms. Ah. See, I think that's why rich people have so many bedrooms. It's like, well, you got to move your mistresses in and I got to move my misters in. And then we got all these kids. Yeah So I mean that makes sense And so Jack would slowly start spending more time In the Florida condo And Candy believed it was like him saying Oh I don't want to be near you anymore So she really took it as like a personal dig Like she was like oh really Like you're really saying you don't want me anymore And so before her and Melvin get sexual She forced him to do multiple things Like she was like making out with him She was like groping him But she was like before we full on do it um, I need you to get some procedures done First of all I need you to get circumcised Second, Second of all, I need your ears pinned to the side of your head because you look disgusting. You look like little, why are your ears like that, boo-boo?
1: Um, Wait, what is it? You, it's like a plastic surgery? Yeah. Oh. I actually had um,
0: a friend in high school who did it in high school.
1: Like it, it just worked. makes your ear more closer to your face. Yeah,
0: they like, I don't know what they do, but I just remember that her ears used to stick out a lot, like uh-huh. even through her hair. Uh-huh. And so she used to hate it all throughout middle school. Then in high school, she got that surgery and she started wearing like bandages for a couple of weeks and then it was like fixed. Uh. Well, I don't want to say fixed but like you get it yeah uh-huh, uh-huh. and so um, he had his ears pinned to the side of his head he also had really bad skin so she made him go through multiple rounds of facials before that they would actually have sex because she was like I can't have sex with someone who has face pimples that's disgusting <laughs> and um, yeah he would snore at night so she had his tonsils removed so that he couldn't snore at night because she was like you know if you're living in my house and we're doing it behind my husband's back so weird I know right that just goes to show how weird she is so she was like <laughs> (laughs) I can't have sex with you until you do all of these things. So he went and got all of these things done with Jack and Candy's money. I mean, I want to say Jack's money because Mm -hmm. technically Candy wasn't working. And so he gets it all done with Jack's money and then they start just full on doing it. So Jack had given Melvin a job as a trailer salesman. So Jack had a lot of businesses and one of them was owning a lot of trailers and he had this huge plot of land. Mm -hmm. So Melvin would go and he would sell them. He would make commission off of them, right? Mm -hmm. Now Candy was in charge of helping Melvin with any finance related things to get that job done and Melvin was living in the Houston mansion rent free I mean it was kind of crazy because Jack took on Melvin as like a protege of some sorts he knew that he was going to pass before Candy and he wanted someone that he trusted to leave the family business with with Candy so that she would always be supported because you know the kids at this point were still too young it's not like they could take over the companies yet and so he was really training him to take over parts of the business. Like he really treated him like a son. And it was, he put a lot of trust into Melvin Powers. Wow. And now who would assume that there's an incestuous affair going along? Not I. Now, Melvin and Candy would eventually grow very, very sloppy. So Jack started no- noticing like something was off with his wife, Candy. He's like, okay, I can't really put my finger on it. I feel like she's cheating on me. But like, who could she possibly cheat on me with? Like, she's always home. Mm-hmm. She's always like, you know, at the workplace. She's never really like going out anymore. I just mm-hmm. don't understand. And then all of a sudden, a coworker approached Jack and said, uh, sir, boss, um, you know how I work with Melvin Powers? Well, he's been like making out with your wife.
1: On oh, the job. Shit.
0: And so Jack is like, what? And he was like, yeah. So Melvin was telling me and all of my coworkers that he has control over your wife because he's so good at eating her out. And he was like bragging about it and how he's doing all of this so that he can be rich and that he's going to have money one day because, you know, he got that pussy power. And he just like is controlling your wife because that pussy power. And it's just really, really crazy. Oh, my God. Melvin Powers, pussy power. Sorry. Anyways. So then Melvin tells his coworker all of these things. And he's like bragging about how he's sleeping with his own aunt, his by blood relative. And so Jack is immediately super disgusted. Like this is this is not even betrayal. This is not even. Oh, my God, my wife is cheating on me. This is like, what the fork? Like, who is this person? That's the most disgusting thing I've ever heard. Like he, he I don't even think he was necessarily sad. He was just so overwhelmed by disgust like most people would be. and so he was like okay hopefully it's a lie because this is probably one of the most outrageous things I've ever heard in my entire life and so he goes and he looks for Candy's diary inside the mansion which probably took like I don't know 20 hours because how do you even look through a mansion like that and he finally finds it he reads it and there's multiple entries detailing the passionate sex that she was having with Melvin Oh, my God. And so, obviously, Jack is disgusted. He fires Melvin immediately, and he tries to kick Melvin out of the Houston mansion. Uh Now, Melvin, he's like, wait, no, I'm not trying to leave this Houston mansion. Like, I could never afford this mansion, so if I move out of here, I got to get my own place, and it's going to be like a shitty little apartment, and you just fired me, so no. And they even had to call the police to get Melvin escorted out of the house. Now, Melvin did scream back at the couple, one day I will return turn as the owner of this mansion as he was getting oh dragged god. out by the police freaking crazy
1: and what was the wife's reaction
0: she was just like oh my god <laughs> yeah huh. and so jack was really scared of both of them he was scared of his own wife and he was scared of melvin I, this had really scared him so he wrote into his own journal and he said if mel and candace don't kill me first i'll have to kill them first yeah Now the relationship ends up going downhill From this point so Candy said that he was Cheating and that's why she started cheating Candy literally got caught cheating with her Nephew and so neither of them Had any love or respect or Trust for each other and so they Officially like separated but Neither of them wanted to be the one to file For divorce so there was a lot of reasons So the basic reason was that they were Super popular in the community and if he Divorced her Candy would could possibly Out him and back in the days like If you were outed as gay you could lose your entire business because people would be like i don't want to work with a homosexual because mm-hmm. people are idiots and he could lose everything now candy didn't want people to know that she was cheating on her husband with her nephew because there is no amount of platinum hair blonde dye or anything that could get her out of a scandal like that like no one's gonna still be like but she's so inspirational you know like she's such a family woman no no one's gonna think that so if jack she is
1: a family woman
0: <laughs> Ew. Okay. so if jack files for divorce first He would have to split his entire Wealth with her and a prenup was Signed to agree this If Jack files for divorce He's the one leaving so he would have to Give like it would be a regular divorce Now if Candy files first she would only Receive $200,000 Okay so if Candy Is the one to say I'm leaving this marriage She would only get $200,000 Now there is like $200,000,000 on the table So that's a lot of money Also the $200,000 in today's inflation and all of that is one point seven million dollars, you know. Mm. So it's not like she was walking away with like two hundred K, which still is a lot of money, but you yeah. know, she would be walking away like with close to two million dollars. And she was like, that's not enough. I could be walking away with a hundred million. Yeah. And so she's like, fuck this. She's like, how would I ever live? Like I would have to like literally clean all these rooms by myself, you know? Mm-hmm. I I can't do that. God forbid. And so Jack decided, okay, why don't we just like wait it out and see who files first. So they move out. He officially kind of like moves to keep Biscayne and she's living in the Houston mansion if anyone asks she's like oh he's got business in Florida she's not British but I think all rich people are and so he's like oh well he's just in Florida taking care of business and Jack would provide candy with a weekly allowance of $42,000 a week damn an allowance he was like paying the mortgage and everything but he was like this is just like spending money the man for sure has like never been to a grocery store She's like I need to go get some groceries He's like here's $40,000 <laughs> It's like what what do you how much do you think eggs are Like what are you doing $42,000 a week How she do She told even-? me
1: eggs cost 20k <laughs>
0: <laughs> I believed her She said it was like super organic or something <laughs> And so obviously they didn't really like each other during all of this But the idea that the other party had damaging information at their disposal was really stressful so if Jack files for divorce, he was scared that Candy would be like, "Oh, he's only doing this because he's gay." You know, if she filed for divorce, he would be like, "Yeah, because she's having an uh, you know, an affair with her nephew." Divorce with this much money on the table is always going to get messy. So both of them were like dancing around the paperwork. And mm-hmm. so Candy all of a sudden decides that she's going to have a surprise visit to Florida. So she brings all of her kids, br- all the adoptive children too, to Florida to see their dad. I believe some people said that she only brought brought her adoptive children and not any of their like biological children but i'm not sure right so i do know that they were there and so they get off the plane they go see the dad the dad was just like living there and the kids stay for a couple of hours and while they're in the key biscayne condo candy says i've got a major migraine i've got a major migraine and so she's like i can't do this anymore i need to go to the emergency room so she takes her four kids into the car and she drives to the emergency room to get her head checked out now after she leaves Almost immediately after an intruder breaks in. And when Candy gets back at around 430 in the morning with the kids, she finds Jack laying dead in a blood soaked blanket and the kids see all of this she immediately what? calls the police when the police arrive there to the governor's lodge condominium they find that Jack Mossler was found stabbed, covered in a blanket he had 39 stab wounds the blanket that covered him had stab wounds in it, so like this person was fucking pissed, like this was not a robbery, this was not just like a home invader, like this was a crime of passion, he yeah. had his head bashed in and it was an intensely emotional crime, so the autopsy said that even the blow itself to the head could have killed him or any one of the stabs could have killed him like these were crazy intense fatal wounds now underneath the blanket jack was just wearing a white undershirt he had hair in the palm of his hands and there was like this vase that was broken that was like lying on the floor so Is they thought here
1: okay, the killer's hair in his hand
0: it seems like it. Yeah. And oh, so okay. they also had two glasses, um, like highball glasses. One of them had like three cigarette butts in it. And it was just like full on crime scene mode. So CSI comes in and they start getting all these fingerprints. Now, the only good print that they could find was a palm print on the kitchen counter. Now, this was like back in the day where you couldn't really do like DNA and all these crazy things. So They were like, okay, like get this palm print. This palm print is everything. Now, they interview all of the neighbors Uh and Herbert, he's he was an upstairs neighbor. And he remembered that the dog was like put out on the balcony and he kept hollering down. Hey, shut that dog up because the dog kept barking on the balcony. And then he heard a male voice say, don't do that to me. And then it was silence. Now, he said that he probably speculated that maybe like the dog wasn't listening to the owner. And he was like, don't do that to me. Like, don't bite my leg, you know. Mm -hmm. And so he just like went back to sleep. Now, Irene, who's the downstairs neighbor, she said that she had been woken up because the dog just kept barking. And she peeked out the door later and she saw a man going around the corner of the hallway. And she followed him, looked through the window and he got into a white car. But she never got a good look at his face. But he got into a white car. And so the police with this information immediately, they're thinking, okay, like it's got to be the wife. Like this dude is loaded. It's always the spouse. It's always the spouse. But the kids and the hospital allegedly confirmed that she was at the hospital. Mm -hmm. so she couldn't have done it now they were wondering okay well are there any more enemies so that's when they realized that jack Mossler was in the finance business and he was fucking ruthless like he had no shame he was not afraid he was very quick to seize people's homes businesses cars if they didn't hold down their part of the bargain if they were late on their payment he was not someone who was lenient he kind of ruled with an iron fist and that's why he became so rich So people were like, what? Any number of people in South Florida and Texas and pretty much anywhere else would have wanted to kill Mossler. So this was just making it really complex for the police. And then all of a sudden, Candy walks into the police station the next day and she sits down with the detectives and she gives them a buttload of information. She says, well, on top of that, he was exhibiting homosexual tendencies. So maybe it was a gay affair gone wrong. They would often fight him and his many, many gay lovers because, you know, he didn't want to publicly come out. He didn't want to divorce me. And so they would constantly get into fights.
1: So what did they do with that information?
0: So they started investigating anyone who was close to Jack Mossler, who was a male. And one in particular was a guy by the name of Vincent Caltegrone. And he was an employee of the bank. And Jack would frequently stay at his tiny little dingy apartment with him, which is not really a multimillionaire thing to do, you know. And he had no alibi. Nothing connected him to the murder, though. And But it started a lot of rumors. At this point, Like Candy just outed her husband that is now deceased. And Mm -hmm. it was just a lot. So then the police are like, OK, well, our only solid lead is a white car. They ID the white car as a Chevrolet and they checked if anyone in the company drove a Chevrolet because they're like, oh, maybe it was like a, a disgruntled employee because that happens often. And the company itself had actually recently repoed a car and they started talking to a guy by the name of Roscoe Brown. So Roscoe Brown is like the employee that would know anything about repoed cars. So the police bring him in to be interviewed and he said that he had delivered that car to Candace about six six days ago, a white Chevrolet. She had landed in Miami from a family vacation in the Bahamas, and she needed a car while she's in Miami. We had just recently repoed this from a man who didn't make his payments, and so I just dropped it off at the plane, or I dropped it off at the airport for her, and she started using it. Uh-oh. Now, Candy claims that she did use it, but she returned it to the company three days before the murder. The company says there's no record of her ever returning it.
1: So where's the car?
0: so the police put out a bolo which is be on the lookout right and they Mm -hmm. find it at the miami international airport in just like the middle of a parking lot so it's just getting really weird now at this point they get the houston police department involved because they're like hey what if it's someone in houston that traveled to florida because he has so many enemies in houston i mean he was a ruthless businessman Mm -hmm. and so the houston police they find jack's diary inside of his house on searching it and they find all of the scary things that he wrote about melvin like i am scared that melvin and candace are gonna kill me Uh then they also recall the incident where they had removed Melvin from the house and he he was screaming threats at Jack Mossler and now Jack Mossler's dead like holy shit So they start looking into Melvin Powers. And when they do, they find out that he actually flew from Houston, Miami or Houston to Miami the afternoon of the murder. And he flew back to Houston seven hours after the murder. So it's not like he was in Miami to have a good time, to have a weekend trip, to like, you know, a business trip. It was like he was there to do one thing and one thing only. And then he freaking dipped out. Right. Mm -hmm. The airport employees even remember that he was in such a rush. He just kept saying, like, I can't miss this plane. I got to go get out of my way like to other passengers and just like pushing them around. They also found evidence that he stopped by at like a bar that was between the Miami airport and the condo, like right smack dab in the middle. So he went right after the plan landed. He stopped at this bar, then went to the condo, then came back after midnight before his flight took off again because he had like some time to kill.
1: Wow. Yeah,
0: so they immediately arrest him and this led to more evidence. So the palm print was a match to Melvin. Now, the police, though, they don't think Melvin acted alone
1: yes
0: but Candy left Miami before they could question her again and they needed more evidence to you know arrest Arrest her. her and Candy had already hired the top defense attorneys for Melvin Powers with all of the money that she just inherited and at the hospital they realized that Candy had received several phone calls from a male voice who was saying hey I would like to speak to a patient by the name of Candy Mossler and the police probably think it was Melvin telling her that the deed was done and she can go back to the apartment and find the dead body naturally Mm -hmm. so they arrest candy they bring her into custody and she hired a whole ass like football team of attorneys now immediately when you are suspected of arrest like murdering someone that you're now inheriting all their money they're gonna freeze your assets so how does she pay for this crazy full-on intense renowned legal team yeah, she paid her attorneys in diamonds and fur and jewelry because those were gifts that she received in the marriage. So technically, they didn't freeze those assets; like they didn't confiscate it. And so she would literally be like, "Oh, thanks for like helping me today," and then just like take off her fur coat and give it to them.
1: God, and they were like, damn. "Thanks."
0: So I mean, I'm sure there was like a contract that if they helped her win, they would get you know their repayment or the something. The other half of the earrings. The other half. The <laughs> you get
1: one first. <laughs> Well, the other half. <laughs>
0: and that right there is $3 million, <laughs> you know. And so immediately there's huge press coverage. You're you're talking about sex, money, murder, incest. Like yes. this is Americans fucking go crazy for this shit. We love this shit. We're like give us more. What else happens in Florida? We need to know. Yeah. And so the trial was a shit show. So the first witness was a random dude who said Candy and Melvin had hired him for a hit and he never got the rest of the down payment so he didn't go through with it. Which like I can't believe the prosecutors put him on the stand because I mean he just got destroyed by Candy's legal team because they just were bringing up all of his criminal past and it just made him look like such a shitty testimony like how can you even trust this person like this person will literally do anything for money
1: oh shit
0: so it just made it look like it was it was dumb five more hitmen testified saying that they too were approached they too on cross-examination were just obliterated by the defense team and so the prosecutor proved that they had an affair because they traveled a lot together and kept showing the jury a bunch of pictures that they took Mm -hmm. nightclubs skiing lavish places it almost looked like they were a couple like it didn't look like the kids like you would never think that they weren't a couple. Like if you just saw the pictures, you'd be like, oh, what a cute little family.
1: Yeah. And so that's
0: really disturbing, right? And so they said that the motive is that they wanted to be together, but they wanted all the money too. And at the time that all of this was taking place, Jack was actually planning to take Candy off of his will. So if he had died, she would get nothing. Now, the Stuffed Shirt Bar employees also said that Melvin left with a Coke can, an empty glass bottle, because they used to be sold in just glass bottles back in the day. And so a lot of people think that that was um, the heavy trauma on the head, not the vase. So, like, the vase had fallen off in, like, the attack, but he had bonked, you know, Jack on the head with this empty Coke bottle.
1: Yeah. Coke bottle killer. The
0: Coke bottle killer. And I mean, I see the prosecutor's theory. So their theory is that because this dog knew Melvin. So, I mean, it was a big dog. I I don't remember which breed it is, but it was a big dog. So it's kind of like one of those guard dogs. But if Melvin knocked on the door, this dog knows Melvin. This dog is comfortable with Melvin. I mean, it's not going to freak out. What kind of other big dog would let another human that they don't know lead them to the balcony without trying to bite them or like feeling like something is off, right? Mm. So they believe that Melvin came in, led the dog out, to the balcony confronted jack who was wearing nothing but an undershirt because he was getting ready to go to sleep Mm -hmm. maybe when he heard the knock on the door he had just draped a blanket over him Mm -hmm. and opened the door like that and then he got bonked on the head he started stabbing him he decided to go wash his hands in the kitchen sink because they were completely bloody and in the process he left a handprint on the counter Mm -hmm. he slips out of the apartment gets into a white car and phones candy at the hospital and tells her it's safe to go home Now, the defense's theory is that even if each stab wound was by one single person, that would be 39 killers. But there would still be more people in Florida who wanted Mossler dead.
1: What kind of defense is just that? Just saying that
0: there are so many people who wanted to just kill Mossler. And they were just saying, like, it was... Yeah, and these attorneys were really good. Like, there was not one witness that they didn't completely eviscerate on the stand. So it was described by the press that the attorney ate him up and spat him out like a predatory animal playing with a dead rabbit. So these were really good attorneys. I mean, she had top-notch, top-dollar, best that you can buy. And the defense... Because they get paid hourly. I'm kidding. I don't know. They gave a five fucking hour closing statement <laughs> to the jury. And they just said, hey, we're just trying to raise reasonable doubt. Because, yes, they were having an affair. But if you have an affair, does that mean you're a murderer by, by consequence? Like, how can you draw that connection? Yet, no one is denying the affair. So the prosecutors had spent a great deal of time trying to prove that the affair happened. And now the defense is saying, well, it happened. But how does that make her a murderer? Damn. They're good. They were really good. And the jury found them not guilty.
1: Oh, my God. God. the
0: jury believed that they did have an affair but the affair didn't 100% mean that they were guilty of murder and the press just fucking they lost it they went batshit crazy there were balls to the walls they were saying this is the most insane verdict ever people saw Candy as just like this murderous bimbo this fucking gold digger who murdered her husband I mean it was insane and what she did afterwards made it even worse she threw a celebration party where she had murder trial posters that were hung up around town all of the guests signed it and they framed it as like a souvenir
1: oh my god
0: she inherited the entire state plus the banking business and she changed the name of the banking business to candace mossler enterprises <laughs> like what,
1: what kind of disrespect
0: the- is that? She wow. did end up growing out or she did end up growing the business a little bit after. Um, So she did. I don't know if some people say that she like doubled the money. I don't really know. Um, She didn't kill the business. So there's that. I don't know if that means anything when she is probably a murderer. I mm-hmm. say probably. I mean, she's dead. But like, who knows who could sue me from this? And so she ends up dating Melvin for another year after this. And they eventually split up. She married another man by the name of Barnett. And he mysteriously died of brain damage after falling from the mansion's balcony mysteriously.
1: Wow. uh
0: Uh-huh. And she was later found in a Miami hotel room overdosed on her migraine medication. Um, Some people say she was 55. Some people say she was like 65. We don't really know. Now, Melvin himself, he became a huge Houston real estate developer And he had a fortune upwards of $200 million That he had amassed He owned, he was in the news Because he owned a huge luxury yacht That was 142 feet And he decided to extend it by 23 feet He was like, this isn't long enough And he had had broken a world record Of having the longest yacht on the western hemisphere at the time Oh yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, that's what they do
0: Yeah, like what fucking kind of record is that?
1: yeah yeah they like, like to see whose weewee's big, bigger yeah both. mine's longer yeah. i'm gonna
0: get mine extended by 23 feet so fuck you like yeah. it's really dumb right and but um to be fair he was in and out of bankruptcy so i don't even know like was that yacht just like ruining it for him and he eventually died at 68 years old and his cause of death was undetermined and that is the story of the mosser family And the Mossler murder and just like, what the heck? This is probably insane because, I mean, we do have some cases where killers get off and you know that they did it. But there is always like a legal loophole or they get like this crazy defense team or they frame someone else. But this is so just blatant. And Mm -hmm. she inherits like this insane fortune and lives out the rest of her life in happy bliss. Mm -hmm. But she had a full on love affair with her nephew that's so gross. Yeah. Now, what are your thoughts on this one? I mean, I feel like it was a little lighter than the Sexton family, but so dark. It's at the just same
1: time. like you hear about the rich people and their wild, insane yes. life. You're like, what in the fucking rich
0: is this? Like
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> and then even
0: afterwards it's like okay no it's okay it's okay karma's gonna get them karma's gonna get them she's like worth 300 million he becomes like a yacht owner and you're just like where the fuck is karma yeah you know i step on a crack once and i got karma and you just get to murder people and then have the longest weewee yacht in the western <laughs> hemisphere i will never understand yachts i just won't get it
1: what do you not get it's It's just just a big boat
0: it just seems like a lot of money for what
1: have you been to a yacht party (laughs) no (laughs) me either
0: (laughs) i'm just not a big boat fan i'm scared of water so many people go missing on boats and yachts oh that's why rich people have yachts they're like just fucking push them off Wow, rich people secrets exposed on today's Rotten Mango. Let me know your thoughts on these cases. And I hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast. And I will see you in the mini because we're doing mini-sodes now. Bye.
1: Bye. <laughs>